All right. Um, so biblically, we're going to be all over the map. So you should have in your packet, I accidentally included the, uh, the prophets list on there. Just ignore that because it doesn't really matter. But um, the verse packet, uh, we're going to be all over the map. So the, the verse packet might be of help to you. And I tried as best I could to keep the blanks pretty simple because uh, I, I wanted you to not be so concerned with writing down and more concerned with just listening or whatever. So um, as we go through this, just sort of bear with me as uh, some of this can get a little bit complicated. One, one of the things that I, I figured out, and this was actually uh, several years ago, I was kind of going through the events leading up to the crucifixion of, of Christ and I uh, heard somebody present their uh, reasoning from the scriptures for Thursday crucifixion. And I thought, that makes a lot of sense. And then I heard somebody else say, no, 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 it's not Thursday, it's Wednesday. And so they presented their Wednesday and I was like, that makes a lot of sense. And then, uh, and then uh, of course, I'm, I'm a Friday crucifixion guy. And so I'm going to try to make sense of all of that as best I can as we go through here. But there is some ambiguity um, and that's okay. So um, just bear with me as we do that. Um, so the Passover, first of all, let's just set in our minds what the Passover is. Um, the Passover is a rehearsal of a, of a story that happened in Jewish history. I mean, very simply, that's what it is. It, it, it's the Jewish people gathering together around a table, and by virtue of a meal, they are rehearsing the story of them coming out of the land of Egypt, their ancestors coming out of the land of Egypt. And just so you remember, there was 10 plagues. Moses, uh, by command of God, brings to Pharaoh and Egypt. And it was the 10th one, which is the, uh, the killing of the firstborn son, of every firstborn son in Egypt, that the Jews were told to specifically prepare for. They were shielded from uh, the other plagues but it was this one that well they were also shielded from it but they were told you have to do something in order to be shielded and that was to take a lamb without spot or blemish and slaughter it and take the blood of that lamb and smear it on the doorposts of your house and on the night when the angel of death descends upon the land of egypt the doorpost where there is the blood of the lamb covering the doorpost the, the angel of death will pass over that house and so there were a couple of things that were particular about the event itself. When they made their bread, they, had to, they couldn't use leaven because there was no time. God was basically telling them through Moses that when you do this and when you eat that night, you need to have your staff in your hand and you don't have time to let the leaven set in the bread and for the bread to rise. It just needs to be flat bread. That's fine. And uh, it's, it's, you know, you, you're going to be in a hurry. And when this all happens, when this goes down, the Egyptians are going to be mad and they're going to come after you and you need to be ready to go. And so there's no leaven that's, uh, that's, that, that they use in the bread. And they're told specifically in Scripture, you, this is a, a memory, this is a rehearsal, this is a a festival, as it were, that you have to remember every year. You have to celebrate it. And the Jews have a sketchy track record in the Old Testament for celebrating things sometimes or for doing what they're supposed to be doing, you know, especially when it comes to like year of Jubilee and stuff like that. 
but this was one that there's a pretty decent track record of them routinely celebrating every year. And so people would go to, to Jerusalem. And of course, in, uh, on Sunday, we're in the part of Matthew where they're in Jerusalem for this event for Passover week. And so it is a, a week-long process. There's lots of things that would go into the week. And so the meal progresses through the night through four glasses of wine. Now, they have lots more wine than that, all right? They drink lots more wine than that. There's ritual wine and non-ritual wine, but th there's basically four glasses of ritual wine that every person there is going to drink. Even, they were commanded that even the poorest, and, and this is kind of Jewish history, but they, they, they were even told the poorest of the poor, if you have to sell every ounce of clothes that you've got to be able to afford four glasses of wine, you need that. And so it was a very important thing that they're moving through these four glasses of wine. And you'll see why this ritual wine is actually very important. In modern seders, so like today, if you were to celebrate one, there's, there's likely going to be a fifth glass, which I'll talk about at the end. But, um, but for the most part, four glasses of wine. And in Jesus' day, there's going to be four glasses of wine. Everybody at the table... He's going to have four glasses of wine set up in front of them. And there's going to be one person who is the head of the family. Normally, it's going to be the father of the family, but it's going to be the head of the family or the head of the group who's hosting the event or whatever. And he's going to lead in the drinking of these ritual glasses of wine throughout the evening, okay, at specific times. Now, there are certain dates during this week that are really important. Nisan is the month that it is celebrated. They go by a lunar calendar, so I can't really relate it to a specific, but it's around the time of March to April, somewhere around there. Uh, it could be as late as May. All right. The 10th of Nisan is where they would select the lamb. So Nisan 10 they would figure out which lamb they were going to get. If you were tra traveling to Jerusalem, potentially you could buy one. They even had provisions for the poor to not have lamb. Uh, in today's Passover feast, you're likely not going to have lamb, uh, especially not one that is like a family pet that you've selected like they would have. They would have, you know, farmed a, a, a baby lamb, you know, a year prior and would have grown him up and... He would have been the family pet, and he probably would have had a name. And they would have slaughtered him right there. Sorry if you're vegan or vegetarian or something, you know. It's probably not, Israel is probably not the place for you. <laughs> uh, the temple was, was sort of like a, a butcher house. I mean, really, there was so many animals that were slaughtered there in Israel. And so Nisan 10 was when they would select the male lamb and it was chosen by a member of the household. Now, Psalm 13 is usually the evening before the Passover meal was eaten. And the reason I say usually there is because I think in the biblical text, there's some Nisan 15 where they're actually eating the meal. But we'll, we'll talk more about that in a little bit. Um, but usually Nisan 13 is the evening before the Passover meal was eaten. And this is where the head of the family would go with the kids. And no, normally it's kind of a game with the kids. They would go through the household with candles in their hands, looking for all the leaven in the house. 
and would get rid of all the leaven. And some Jews would actually take the leaven and would sell it to their Gentile neighbors, and then they would buy it back from them after Passover was over, because it's expensive, you know? And so, uh, but they would go through the house, and they would look for all the leaven, and they would sweep it out. And if they, if there was potentially some leaven in the house that they just did not find, the head of the family would swear off any leaven that's in his house, may it be as the dust of the, of the ground, the dust of the earth, and so the, all the leaven was gone out of the house. And, and why was that? Remember, that's a commemoration of the fact that they could not let the bread rise. So again, all of this is still rehearsing and reminding their children of the story. And all of that really goes back to commands in Deuteronomy 6. To everything you do, teach your kids what happened in the past. Teach your kids how faithful God has been to you so that they remember when they grow up and they understand why they're doing these things. So everything about the Passover meal is designed to remember that event. And so uh, they go through, they get rid of all the leaven the night before Passover is, is eaten. Now, Nisan 14 is when is typically when the guests of the family members are entering the home and uh, a servant is often going to be the one who comes in as the people come into the house, he or the servant would, would wash the feet of the family members or the guests that are coming for the event. But what do we find in the text of Scripture? That when they get to the house, it is not a servant that is washing their feet. It is the servant. It is Jesus Christ who's washing the feet. And we see this in John 13, 1 to 11. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that this hour had come to depart out of the world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into Judas' heart, Simon, I think I'm reading the wrong passage. Am I? No, I'm reading the right passage. Okay. Uh, <laughs> when he already put it into uh, Judas, uh, the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That is why he said, not all of you are clean. Now, what I need to clarify a couple of things too, because the, the pattern of the Lord's Supper or the pattern of the, of the Seder meal that we have laid out for us, the, the closest to Jesus is about 200 AD. So, you know, that, that's almost 200 years apart from Jesus. So the tradition that's laid out in 280 AD, you're probably going to find it be a little bit more flexible 
in the scriptures. So it appears that the washing of the feet, um, Jesus does after everybody sits down and after everybody's starting to kind of partake in the appetizers. All right. So, uh, so as they kind of begin to partake, that's when he gets up and washes their feet. The point is that he's taking the role of the servant. And that's why Peter pushes back and says, wait a second, wait a second. that's not your job. That, I'll do it, you know, or somebody else. That's, that's certainly not your job. And we see in the other gospels, this entirely consistent with the picture that we see of Jesus in Mark 9.35. And he sat down and called the 12. And he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. Mark 10, 45, for, for even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life for a ransom, as a ransom for many. So here's the head of the family doing what, what should not be done by the head of the family, and that is washing the feet of those that are participating in uh, the Lord's Supper, including... Yeah. Yeah. Including Judas Iscariot. Yeah. It, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus being secure in his own, she said, Jesus being secure in his own self, uh, you know, is happy to take the role of a servant. And I, I'm, I'm, I thought you were going somewhere else with that, but I, I, I I'm amazed too that he washes the feet of, of the guy who's betraying, who's in the process of betraying him, which um, uh, is, you know, amazing to me. And you'll see in the video tomorrow. Um, but but uh, so once the guests all arrive, uh, there's the, the washing of the feet and usually reserved for a low, lower class of people. And Jesus takes the role of the servant there. Now, once all the guests arrive, they perform the ritual of hand washing uh, that Jews from antiquity have done before every meal. And now the guests are free to participate in non-ritual wine. So they may have, depending on the wealth of the family that's hosting this meal, they may have barrels and barrels of non-ritual wine. And there are specific windows where you're able to consume that wine. There are big windows where you can consume that wine. And then there's, there's tiny little narrow windows where no wine may be drunk. But, uh, but, but the point is the non-ritual wine can be consumed and this is the point where they do it. So they come in, they're drinking wine and they're talking probably with each other and things like that. Now, in front of each seat at the table is a, a myriad of things that are there. First of all, obviously the four glasses of ritual wine that they're gonna be directed to drink by the head of the family. There is a plate that has obviously some cutlery and napkins and things like that. There's several candles on the table. Um, there on the plates, they have uh, Karosef, uh, which is like a, uh, a, I'm gonna show you a picture of it in a minute, but like a nutty, fruity, uh, looks delicious, uh, kind of almost like a little, not dip, but like a little, I don't know, chunky something, you know? Little chunky, little chunky something, you know? It's, not, it's something good, you know, something to eat. It's, it's tasty, uh, fruit, uh, uh, figs and uh, some sort of nut, pecans, walnuts, something, something that, that grows over there, I'm sure. Um, I can't remember which one it is, but uh, here I think it varies depending on where you get it. But um, there is unleavened bread, there are vegetables uh, and vinegar, and there is a, a carpas, which is like a, a, a bitter herb, 
that they're going to bring out in just a little bit. Um, so when they sit around the table, they don't sit. It's not a table. They don't chairs, per se. The table is uh, about 18 inches off the ground. So think maybe like kind of Japanese style, like the old Japanese style tables, like where you sit down, you know. And except they have like ca lounging couches around the table and arranged just so. And uh, they will eat lying down. So eat, eating with their, their head pointed to the table and their feet pointed away, all right, on their left side. And even the poor were encouraged to eat this way because it was, that, that's a sign of wealth. If you're eating laying down, in other words, not with your staff in your hand, right? You are, you are relaxed. God has provided for you. That's, that's what they're saying. By the laying down at the table, they're eating like rich people eat. Uh, think of like the couched potato. I mean, who doesn't like to eat like that? You know, right? Like just laying back on your couch, right? So they eat, but they eat laying, laying forward and kind of like on their side. And so the reason, obviously, is because what, it's sending a sign to everybody there. Look how much the Lord has blessed us. The Lord has provided so much for us that we can lay down when we eat. We don't eat with our staff in our hands anymore. We have gone from the wilderness. We've gone from Egypt as we were slaves to the wilderness running for our lives, fighting with our enemies, to now look at us. We are laying down and enjoying the, the fruits of what God has provided for us. All of this is about God's provision. All right, so they're to relax. All right, this is uh, Kereseth. It looks delicious, doesn't it? Little uh, uh, figgy, figgy, nutty goodness, you know? Well, it's tasty, I'm sure. I have never had any, but I'm sure it tastes good. I was actually invited to a Passover one time by a guy who lived in it, who was in Israel. He was in the Israeli army that I worked with. And he was like, but we're going out of town. And I, oh, and then I quit working there. And, and so I never got to see him again. Uh, it was, it's one of those moments that I just, I would have loved to celebrate. But anyway, uh, Kareseth, these are the bitter herbs. Um, they're not really, it's not really descriptive of a particular herb as, as much as it is just, a, there's a lot that fall into that category. Um, all right. So the seating at the Passover uh, is assigned. It is assigned uh, seating at the Passover. And so the head of the family is going to sit at one end. And it's going to be, if you can imagine a sort of a, a, a U, kind of a blocky U look uh, shape to the table with the kind of the bottom of the U, as it were, is where the head of the table sits. And he's going to be sitting there and he's going to be directing all the festivities with people all the way around um, to his right is going to be the most important guest and circling all the way around in Jesus day. It appears that there are uh, two places of honor, which are uh, right up at the head of the table with him that are sitting right next to him. And we'll look at that in just a second. Okay, so once everybody is seated and the festivities begin, then there's going to be a prayer by the head of the family and the first of the four wine cups is consumed and they walk through in a passage in Exodus 6, 6 to 7. That passage is associated with all four ritual wine cups and in that passage are what they call what they refer to as four verbs four 
like I will statements by the Lord. And each I will statement or each verb, if you will, is attached to a particular wine glass. And so the part of that part of the passage is read and the wine glass is consumed by the head of the table. And then the rest of the people follow suit with their ritual wine glasses, each in order. And so the first one is read out of Exodus 6, 6. So there, say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. Everybody drinks their first glass of wine. All right. Now we start getting into some of the meal, the appetizers, if you will. Uh, so the head of the household is going to dip some of the vegetables like celery and things like that into some of the bitter herbs. And he's going to share it with the guest of honor, which is normally going to be to his right. And they're going to uh, each partake of the bitter herbs. Now, the bitter herbs are to remind them of the bitterness of slavery, of the yoke of slavery. And so they're, the bitter herbs is not necessarily a, a good thing in the sense of like it's supposed to bring up in your mind a, a tragic event, but it's also designed to push you away from it and to say, we don't want to go back to Egypt. We never want to be under the yoke of slavery again. So uh, he shares it with the head of, with uh, his guest of honor and they pass it around the table all the way until the kids get to eat some of it as well. So after everyone partakes of the karpas, the uh, bitter herbs, all of the food, all of the drinks are removed from the table and the second cup of ritual wine is poured, but it isn't consumed yet. So they're, they're, they're pouring it, but they're not ready to drink it just yet. And this is the point where a young, typically it's the youngest kid there or the youngest, least important kid at the table kind of thing, uh, is there to ask several questions to the head of the family. This is where they begin to recite what the Lord has done. And the youngest members of the table are going to ask questions like, why is this night different from all other nights? So as one example, they, they, will, they will also ask, on normal nights, we get leavened bread. We get thick crust pizza. And tonight, we get thin crust. Why is that? Why do we get that? And the answer is because they didn't have time to let the bread rise there's why normally we don't eat bitter herbs why do we eat bitter herbs tonight to remind us of the yoke of slavery so they rehearse the story as they go through it and they're commanded to then everybody stops and the father of the family the head of the family will go through the story of israel's history all the way from abraham until moses and the giving of the law here's why this is incredibly important or why this is, I think, has a lot of ties actually into the New Testament. You remember Stephen? Stephen gets stoned to death by the Jewish leadership. Do you remember what he does before he gets stoned to death? He recounts the history of Israel, but do you know what he recounts? The history of Abraham to Moses. And then he goes a little bit further and he starts condemning the Jewish leadership for not paying attention. So, most likely, and most people think, that what Stephen rehearses for them 
is the story that they hear every Passover. And he tells it to them, but they are the ones that are fallen, that are fallen away from the Lord. They are the ones that need to listen. They are the ones that need to repent. So he's just walked through Israel's history. For them, that's incredibly insulting. And you can see in the passage in Acts 7, you can read it later. And I've, I, I have it on your list here, but I didn't include it in the verse packet because um, it's so long. But uh, you can go read it later and you'll see that they're incensed by what he says. It's incredibly offensive. And I think culturally, that's probably the background of it is that they recognize this is from the Passover. You don't think we know this? We lead all of our families in this story. You don't think we know this? But then they become the villain of the story at the very end. After all of that happens, they sing the first two halal or halal psalms. Halal it means praise. You're familiar with the word hallelujah? Okay, Hallel, that comes from hallel, which means to praise. Uh, the you ending on that, hallelujah, means you. And then Yah is short for Yahweh, the Lord. Praise you, the Lord, right? And so the halal uh, psalms, Psalm 113 through 118, are, are sung, but just the first two, Psalm 113 and 114, are sung right here. After they've rehearsed the story, they've sung the halal psalm, first two halal psalms, then the second cup of ritual wine is consumed. And again, we go back to Exodus 6, 6. And I want to, let me get it up here on my screen. And it says, uh, I will deliver you from slavery to them. That is to the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery to them. He holds up the second cup and they uh, drink the second ritual cup of wine. Now remember, hasn't really been any bread eaten yet. There hasn't been any of that really eaten yet. But at this point, now we're on for the main show. The second cup of wine has been consumed, and now they're digging in to the the main entree, which, of course, is the unleavened bread that is the, the, uh, the, the lamb. It is the caroseth, the vegetables, the, basically everything. They take two so out of the one loaf of unleavened bread. They'll break it into thirds. One portion of that bread will go away until the end of the meal. It comes back as dessert, and that changes a little bit later on. But, uh, but they have the two smallest pieces of bread that they're there uh, passing around the table, and that's part of the food as well. They're going to wash their hands in preparing for this, and everything is ready to go. Now, the host will then take the bread and he will break the, the bread that goes to the guest of honor. He's going to break it, and he is going to take the bread with the uh, guest of honor, and he is going to dip it into the uh, dressing or whatever so that they can eat it together into the, the bitter herbs. The, um, um, yep, the bitter herbs. And, uh, and so the, then the guest of honor is going to dip with him and then is going to take it and pass it around the table. Now, here's why we, what we gather from the scriptures. Look at John 13, 26 to 27. Jesus answered, he, he told them that somebody's going to betray him and they're asking who it is. And he says, Jesus answered, it is he whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. 
So when he dipped it, dipped a morsel of bread, he gave it to Judas, son of Simon Iscariot. And after he had taken a morsel, Satan entered him. Jesus said, what you are going to do, do quickly. Now, I wanted to include uh, the other scriptures here because they phrase it a little different. Uh, virtually, I mean, kind of give, meaning the same thing, but giving maybe a slightly different impression of what's happening or a fuller story. Matthew 26, 23, he answered, he who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. So they're, they're dipping it together, which means that what position is Judas sitting at? He is the guest of honor at the table. Just think about that for just a second. Jesus knows what Judas is doing. He's already set this up, as we've saw, seen today, Spy Wednesday. He, he set up the negotiation for how much he's going to sell Jesus for. Jesus knows this. John tells us. He already knows it. And the guest of honor at the table is Judas. He and John, it's going to become obvious later, he and John are both sitting up at the head of the table. But he gives it to Judas and designates him as the guest of honor, but also designates him as the, the one who would betray him. The disciples don't totally get this because it seems like there's some commotion in the room and they're kind of off. And maybe some of this is happening in low tones and they don't quite hear or they think that this has something to do with the money bag or whatever. And Judas runs out, and he's gone, it seems, uh, for the rest of the evening. Um, so the meal has pretty much, is pretty much over. They, they sit down and they eat, and it's pretty much over. And it's as the meal is wrapping up that Jesus um, gets the third cup. The third cup is, is poured, and the unleavened bread that, was waiting until the end of the meal comes back out. This is the cup and the bread that he's using at the Passover meal that we are familiar with, the Lord's Supper, as we would call it. So this last of the unleavened bread wafers and the cup is poured. In. And, you know, you, you're familiar, I'm sure, where he says, Matthew 26, 26, um, he took the bread uh, as they were eating. Uh, so the meal's kind of wrapping up, it seems. Jesus took the bread, and after he blessed it, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, take, eat, this is my body. Uh, same thing in Mark, same thing in Luke, except he adds, do this in remembrance of me. My body, which is given for you, do this in remembrance of me. Um, and so this is the bread that has, has come out. The third cup has been poured. It's sitting there. And he goes to read the third um, praise from Exodus 6.6, 6, which is, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. There's, that's latent with irony, isn't it? That Jesus, as he's about to, he says, this is my blood, which is given for you. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm as they all drink the third cup. All right. Now, Jesus does something interesting after this third cup and I always say it whenever we are uh, preparing to take the Lord's Supper. But uh, I don't ever, you know, I, I haven't really addressed it, at least on Sunday morning. But in Matthew 26, 27 to 29, he's just taken the third cup. And then Jesus says something peculiar if you're not thinking Seder meal. He says he took the cup, and when he had given thanks... He gave it to them saying, drink of it, 
all of you, for this is my blood of the skip past that blood of the covenant, which is poured out for you and, and for the many forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in the Father's kingdom. Which is a kind of peculiar statement, right? Uh, he consumes the third cup. He says, you know, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm that drink it. And then he says to them, I, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine again until we have it in my Father's kingdom. I'll drink it with you in my Father's kingdom. So that means that there is a fourth ritual cup of wine on the table that Jesus may lead them through, but he is not going to drink it. Interesting, right? Okay, so uh, then we get to the fourth cup of wine. And the fourth verb would have been read, and we assume that it was read. We're not told it's read in Jesus' day, but we assume that it was, that it was read in Jesus' day as well. And um, he says in 6-7, let me get to it in my Scripture passage here. He says, remember, this is the cup Jesus is not drinking. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the yoke or the burdens of the Egyptians. So Jesus tells his disciples, that cup of wine I'm going to drink when I return. That cup of wine I'm going to serve you when I return. The cup where I will be your God and you will be my people, I have delivered you from the burden of the Egyptians. That cup, we're going to drink in my father's kingdom. So uh, it's, it's interesting, and I think the text warrants it. He, he's stopping that fourth cup of wine. He's not going to consume it. He's fasting from it until he can drink it in the kingdom. Um, so following the fourth cup of wine, there's going to be some, uh, some more halal uh, psalms that are sung, which is Psalm 115 all the way to 118. Um, Matthew twenty six thirty says, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. That's the end of the meal. That, that's the end of the meal. That's the Psalm 115 to 118 that they sing. Probably they sing all of it. Sung a hymn probably means all four chapters, uh, which is a long hymn. It's like, just as I am, you know, all seven verses. Uh, so, um, so they, they sing it together. And then that's when they go out to the Mount of Olives. Um, now, I wanted to point this out because there are a couple of traditions. The temple's destroyed in 70 AD. So there's no more bringing your lamb to the temple and getting it slaughtered, right? The families don't really get to select that anymore. And so what do they do? Well, in Israel, I'm not entirely sure how exactly they celebrated in Israel. Maybe one day I'll get to do that with a, a Jew. That would be fantastic. But, uh, but as of yet, I haven't. And so... I'm not really sure what they do. I know what Americans do here. And what's interesting is that the traditions that have replaced, like, for instance, the sacrificial lamb, you know, you, you would love to be able to sit down with a Jew and go, yeah, see that lamb right there? Let me tell you about Jesus, right? And you'd be able to connect those to Jesus. And th those have been replaced. Th those elements of the meal have been sort of replaced because there's not really a sacrificial lamb. Um, but what they have been replaced with is actually still an interesting evangelical tool. And that the Jews who have 
I guess, instituted this sort of celebration or this, these changes have kind of unwittingly stumbled into another gospel illustration. And I want to show you just a couple that they've done. So since there's uh, no, oh, and this is for, you know, maybe if you are ever around a Jewish person and you're talking through the Lord's Supper, maybe you're celebrating with them or something like that. You're celebrating obviously very differently than they are. Um, that maybe you, this is your opportunity to evangelize. Um, instead of the slaughtering of the lamb, there is a kind of a new, a little bit newer tradition it developed some few hundred years after Jesus, apparently, where uh, they actually take that third piece of bread that is broken, which Jesus said, what did he say when he held it up? That third piece of bread that came out, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. They take that third piece of bread at the beginning of the meal, they pull it out, and they stuff it in white linen, wrap it in white linen, and they take that bread, that third piece of bread, and they hide it away. And at the end of the meal, it comes out as something that the Greeks have called a fakin, a, a, a fickleman, which is dessert, essentially. It's not sweet or anything like that, but it just it comes out at the end of the meal. It comes back, it resurrects at the end of the meal, and they open it up, they take it out of the, the white linen cloth, and they break it for everybody there at the table to have. Um, so how all of that came about after the destruction of Tim, I'm not entirely sure. I don't know that really anybody is, but um, it is uh, peculiar how they stumbled into another <laughs> away from the lamb, which was a, a great illustration for Christ and, and now stumbled into another illustration for, for Christ. Um, the last one is Elijah's cup. Um, as I said, there, there's sometimes in modern seders a, a fifth cup. And normally there is a seat open at the table that stays open at the table. And a cup of, of wine that is poured out and is sitting there, no one touches. This is Elijah's cup. Sometimes you'll even, you'll even hear of people leaving the door open as they eat the Passover meal, inviting Elijah to come in, I guess, as if he needed a door. But, hey, there you go. So the idea would be that if we're celebrating the Lord's Supper, or we're celebrating the Passover, and Elijah were to come in and sit down, this would be his place at the table. This would be his cup to drink. Now, what does Elijah's ministry signal to the Jews? To Jesus, Jesus tells his, his disciples that the Pharisees have been, have been teaching, the scribes, have been teaching the disciples, Elijah comes first before the Messiah. Elijah comes first. Remember, they're coming down from the Mount of Transfiguration, and the disciples go, hey, why does all the teachers of the law say that, uh, the, the, that Elijah's coming first? And Jesus says, well, he does come first. And he's already come. What was his name? John the Baptist. Elijah's ministry, uh, in tradition, Jewish tradition, Elijah's ministry is going to signal the coming of the Messiah, which signals coming judgment. God's judgment on the world when the Messiah comes. It's going to be through the Messiah. So the cup of Elijah that's sitting here is a cup of wrath. No one drinks it. Elijah drinks it so that he can signal the coming Messiah. That's how the tradition develops.
And so now there's this spot normally at many Seder meals where there's an open spot for Elijah. I don't know how often that is practiced nowadays, but that's kind of how it is. Um, this is a great segue into the gospel. Not only can we say, well, Elijah has come, and actually the Messiah has come as well, but Jesus actually goes out into the garden after this, and he's praying about drinking a cup. But it's the cup of the fury of the wrath of God. And there in the garden, he's praying about whether or not this cup would pass from him any other way. And upon realizing that there is no other way that he is going to drink this cup, he drains it to the dregs. So for us, there's still a great way to use the Seder meal, even without the temple and without, all, without the lamb and without those kinds of things, as a segue into the gospel. Well, I got news for you. That fifth cup of wrath, Jesus drank. He drained it to the dregs for me. He drained it for you. So questions? Michael? Yes. I, didn't, I don't understand. Um, I mean, I understand on our end what that, what that um, hiding of the piece of bread means or, or, or can, can signify. But why did they do that? What was, it, what was that to them? Well, um, I mean, the, the unleavened bread in total is a sign of God's judgment on the nation of Egypt and they're having to eat in a hurry. So very basically, the bread itself is provision from the Lord. Right. Why that comes back at the end of the meal, like as a kind of a dessert, it, it did in Jesus's day, it has for some time, and it still does, to my knowledge, today. Um, I'm not entirely sure, other than who doesn't like to finish off their meal with bread? <laughs> I mean... You know, I don't know that there's anything specifically tied to that piece of it, of why it comes back at the end, um, other than maybe continual pr providence of the Lord. Or, or why it's covered in the, why it's hidden. Uh, yeah, no, that is a more recent thing. And that, that would probably be like 200, past 200. In 200, the evidence we have in 200 is that they're arguing about doing this because the temple's gone. And they're arguing about whether or not this is how they should treat the bread. And at some point later on, it just got picked up in households and somebody taught it somewhere, obviously. And so we don't really know when that kind of got solidified in tradition uh, at all, why it was wrapped in linen, other than it's God's continual poking uh, the Jewish people. Is, I mean, from a Christian perspective, I would say probably that, um, you know, what they're doing is, is perhaps short-sighted on their part, but it's actually the providence of the Lord still leaving with them uh, some, um, you know, all these traditions are, are related to God's past salvation and his future salvation. They're all connected to both what God has done and what God is about to do in Jesus. And so um, he, he's, he's built those traditions for them for a reason, and, and he continues to do the same thing, I, I would say, even in today's Seder meal, when it's celebrated by people that actually care to celebrate it. You know, correctly. Kirsten, I was sorry. Yeah. Repeat that question again. Okay. So, uh, Jerusalem is teeming with people. Yes. So, they actually, the officials need Judas to take them 
to Jesus? Was Jesus not really well known? Perhaps they wouldn't know where he would be? Well, that is a good question. They are, they are in a room um, where, uh, you know, they, only the disciples know. So that, that is one thing. It's night. Remember the last time we saw in Matthew, we saw Jesus with the Pharisees. Uh, they didn't want to do anything to him because the people revered him. So how did they have to get him? They had to get him in secret at night. I don't know if you've ever searched for somebody when there's no city lights. Uh, yeah, uh, playing hide and go seek in the dark. Yes, uh, you can't see your hand in front of your face. And so um, finding uh, you know, someone who is not spectacular that we should look upon him, as Isaiah tells us, um, just a random Joe or random Jesus in, in the middle of a dark place is probably going to be pretty difficult. So you need somebody to, to point him out. Well, and do that. Sometimes we talk about it just being a little small. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's hundreds of thousands of people there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that's at least part of it. Yeah, I saw one hand, Kirsten. Wasn't it celebrated prior to, say it again, the building of the temple? Yes. Because there is a tabernacle. So there, there, Moses functions as the priest. He's going to slaughter the lambs. Um, you know, I think, I think probably when they're in Egypt, I, if I remember right, every family slaughters their own. Um, but um, there is a tabernacle subsequent to that. Um, eventually that gets replaced by the temple. And... Um, there may still be a process in Jerusalem where they slaughter a bunch of lambs. I doubt it. Um, but there, there may be. There could be. I, I yeah, have we, we, don't have a ton of, we don't have a ton of evidence for them, actually, for them, for them doing that. But um, they do, the point, point I was making is even before the temple is built, they have construction for them to carry on worship in whatever way, a, a mobile with them. Doug, were you saying something? Yeah, I, I have, I don't know if you want to address all these, Michael, but I, my impression was that John was seated right to the right side of Jesus because he leans back he on his breast and asks him who's going to betray him. He is. Uh, but I thought you said that Judas was there. Judas, it appears, is seated to his left. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. And so, so John, so they're facing this way. John yes. would be right here to his yeah. right. And Judas would be right here to his left. Both of these seats, it appears, by virtue of what Jesus does in breaking the bread and dipping it with Judas, both of these seats are seats are places of honor because right. both of them are seated at the head of the table. So there's a there's a graphic that I put up on the video tomorrow that'll kind of just demonstrate where they are in the in the shape that indicates that Judas is right here next to him. So you've got John on this side. John leans back to talk to to. Uh, Jesus at some point, and Judas, it seems, is right here. Both of them appear to be in places of honor. So the herbs are probably dipped with John and, and spread around, and then the bread is actually dipped with Judas. Uh, as leaven being a type of sin was no reason to sweep out the leaven from the house during the Passover. Say that one more time. I, I didn't hear it. My, my, my sense of that was that it was the leaven was swept out because it was a type of sin. In the yeah. Bible, it depicts sin. 
But yeah. Um, I don't know if that's so much um, what's going on there. Uh, potentially, that could be, I mean, Judas is, yeah. um, you know, Jesus is described as the one sweeping up 11 in Matthew. So it's possible. Yeah, you probably don't want to get into this at all about when the crucifixion happened. <laughs> I, I, I like the Thursday. I think it makes a yeah. whole lot of sense. You know, this, that, this is what I was saying at the beginning is it, <laughs> man, there, there, you can get into, and let me tell you, if you just do, I don't know, 15 minutes of research on it turns into an hour and 15 minutes of research yeah. turns into six hours of research yeah. on it because it can get very overwhelming very quickly. Yeah. My, my impression is, and, 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 you know, I only have what I have. Okay. Uh, the text. So I, what I, what I figure is probably going on is that Jesus on sundown or evening on thir- what we would call Thursday night, which would actually be a Friday for them would be the beginning of Friday. Uh, that night on what we would call Thursday night, he celebrates an early Passover, I think, with the disciples. I think it's early. And then there is the 14th of Nisan when all of the, 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 the you know, gathering of all the materials, getting the room, all of that goes on during the day. And Jesus is on trial that whole day, goes to the cross that day, you know, midday or whatever, nine o'clock, I think in the morning, goes to the cross, hangs on the cross for six hours, gives up the ghost at 3 p.m., I think is what that, is, what that means. At 3 p.m. on that day, the 14th of Nisan would be when the priests would start slaughtering the lambs there in the, in the temple. At the point where Jesus gives up the ghost uh, at 3 on Friday afternoon, um, the temple curtain is torn in two. The, um, the, and then he dies. The people have gotten their lamb. Now it enters, it's getting entering the Sabbath day. So they're going into their homes. They're preparing their meals. Sunset happens on that, what we would call Friday night. They would call the beginning of Sabbath. Okay. And then they begin eating a Sabbath, which is also a uh, holy day of the eating of the Passover, which would happen technically on the 15th of Nisan is the eating. That's what I think. I can be persuaded otherwise, Doug. And so don't trap me now. All right. <laughs> but right now, as I stand here, that's, that's what I'm persuaded by. And I've heard all of it. I've heard the arguments. I'm sure you have. I'm sure you have. But, you know, I, I think that's probably what's going on. But okay. there's a lot more. We, yeah, Timothy, real quick. Ask that question again in the in the microphone. Sorry, I forget. Okay, when Mrs. Zebedee yes um, asked Jesus to put her sons on his right and his left, Salome, Salome, <laughs> he said, uh, "Are you able to drink the cup that I am going to drink?" Yes. Yeah, we are. Yes. Yeah. Now is that the same cup? Um. Yes, and he tells them. They're going to drink the cup of wrath. I think it's a cup of suffering. It's a cup of suffering. Um, he, he's, and we, we, I talked about this in a, I think a sermon a few weeks ago, but he, he, um, and so you can go back to that and, and, but I, it wouldn't, wouldn't really change from that. I think he's talking about the cup of suffering and he's indicating you are going to drink, you are going to drink the cup of suffering, but, um, it, yeah, yeah. 
so I, I think that's he's speaking more in generalities that they are going to suffer. Uh, and as Paul would say, kind of fill up what is remaining, kind of the idea, same idea there. So. Michael? Yes, Millie. I think also, in, in John, it answers the question about Judas. It says in the 18th chapter about the fact that he knew where he and the disciples would be. Often they would go for vesper service in the evening. And so he you know, it would be easy to lead a league of soldiers into the garden rather than into a house. Right. Yeah. He, the, he's needed uh, to provide the inside knowledge of where Jesus is going to be so that they can arrest him at any evening. Yeah. Yes. You're right. That is. I have a quick question, Michael. Yes, Jen. Um, so in just the past few years, I've noticed a lot more evangelical Christians talking about um, kind of like Christ in the Passover. And I think it's really helpful to understand some of what you've explained tonight. Um, but my question, I guess, is when we think about Jesus came to fulfill the law and not abolish it, um, we, my understanding is, and I am wondering what you think on this, but is that it's okay to, um, to maybe do something like this with our kids as a way to teach them about the past and what the Jewish people believe today, but also um, to talk about uh, Christ in it, um, but that it's not necessary for us as believers anymore, obviously, to practice a Passover meal, um, that that has been replaced by the Lord's Supper in community in the church. Is that correct? Right. So Jesus has updated the meal of the Passover. Uh, and given it new meaning. And in the in his last supper, he has given it new meaning to the church. It is now a Lord's Supper that we celebrate, and we're drinking the third cup. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. We're breaking the bread. This is his body, which is given for us. So it's an updated meal. He tells us that eating the bread and drinking the wine is going to happen in the his father's kingdom that is to come, which is the second update that that meal is going to receive. And so we know that there's an updated form of it. Um, you know, as far as what we can eat, Paul, Jesus, everybody in the New Testament opens it all up. You can eat whatever you want. Um, you know, I don't, I, don't care, I don't care what you eat. Uh, so when it comes to the Passover, some of those, sometimes those things are a really good thing to celebrate and to kind of teach your kids how these pieces of the Old Testament connect to the New Testament and what Jesus has really done for us here and what God has been preparing the nation of Israel for throughout its history. That's, that's incredibly rich imagery for a kid to latch onto and remember forever is this time we kind of celebrated this little meal and what it means and connect all those pieces. They're never going to read the same way as like visiting Israel. You know, you're never going to read the Bible the same way again, never going to read the Passover the same way again. And so all of those things as Christians are permissible for us. There's no law against doing that, but you just want to be sure that we're, we're preaching Christ as the fulfillment, not that these are obligations of the law that we still have to fulfill because we obviously don't. So I, I, I know you've got, you've got that, you know, squared away. I, I know, but you know, just to be clear, you know, so I, I, I to be honest with you, I'll, I'll probably find a way to celebrate this with my kids next year sometime, just walking them through some of this stuff. Uh, even though Andrew will eat a peanut butter sandwich. So <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah some churches do I, I, i've thought about it but we, yeah 
Uh, I don't know that I'm necessarily qualified to do all that, but but we'll we'll find some ways to do stuff like this in the future. You know, kind of celebrate. Let's let's pray and let's get out of here because Tom's going to kill me. Um, Heavenly Father, we thank you for an opportunity to just walk through what we know and what we understand about this, to wrestle and and really ask questions over things that we're unsure of. And I I pray that you would help to ease our minds on the things that we're unsure of and leave them. Um, to you and that, that over the course of our study, that uh, you would you know, reveal to us truth in your word. It would come straight from your word. We also are just so grateful for the season that we're celebrating and the rich, rich Im- imagery that is latent in scripture that you have uh, prepared in and through your people, in and through people, uh, yours and not yours to preserve this image that they thought only represented one thing, and and it turns out represented some much grander vision of salvation for your people. And I'm so grateful that they preserved this by the power of your Spirit and that you crafted it and and prepared it and, and, and secured it for us that we may read about it and we may learn and we may understand and I pray that as we think about this, as we go, as we reflect on uh, you redeeming us with an outstretched arm, the promise in Exodus 6, 6, it remains true in Christ. You have redeemed us with an outstretched arm. And that, you're, you're, that the body of Christ was broken for us. And that as we eat the bread, uh, we remember that he suffered for us and died that we may have life. And we long for the day where we can feast in the kingdom with him again, where we can drink the fourth cup of wine with joy. We pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.